Well, today, of course, we think of mom. It's Mother's Day. It's interesting because in so many languages across the world, there is often a word that not only means mom, but sounds like mom. In Mandarin, there is mama. In Navajo, it is ama. In Korean, it is oma. In Greek, mama. In Hebrew, ima. Do you hear the similar sounding across languages? Now, that didn't even all come from the same original language, but it seems to almost transcend all language to, to a degree. And it's believed to be because of what is simple for a baby to speak and the sound a baby makes when feeding from mom. But it is interesting that in so many languages um, that this, this is shared and it becomes reinforced in the culture so that worldwide and through a diverse group of people that they utter such a similar sounding name for moms. Now that would uh, seem to indicate historically that over the whole world uh, that this may be the most uh, universally recognized sound. The idea of ma, mama, that kind of a, kind of a phonetic sound. And a lot of people would, you know, again, give a secular reason for why it's so common as what I just mentioned a moment ago. But it, I see in that, I see God's hand and design in that through his creation of women and children and motherhood that the, the sound of mom would echo across the world as a tribute to what God had created. So since it is Mother's Day today, we will explore God's design for womanhood and motherhood, which we do find to be a sacred calling in Scripture. Again, we understand motherhood is not the only calling of a woman. It's, it's not the only thing a woman exists for. We understand that. It's not for everyone, even. We understand that. Not every woman will experience motherhood. But even while we understand that, we are going to take time to celebrate motherhood today as recognizing what God has created it to be. Now, as we do that, we're going to build to the idea of motherhood, and we're going back to the book of Genesis this morning just to review God's creation of mankind, His his design for men and women and even a little bit about marriage, but especially about motherhood, that this was built in from the beginning as part of God's very good creation. So go with me now back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, in verses 26 and 27, some of the most important scriptures in all of the Bible because of what they say about all mankind. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, and this is on the sixth day of creation, by the way, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle 
over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All mankind is created in the image of God. We'll make a couple points based on this idea. First of all, to be human means to be an image bearer of God. To be human means to be an image bearer of God. Every person you will ever meet in your life is a spiritual being that has a spirit, soul, and body. They are a personal being. They are a person. They have personhood, just like God is a person. He's actually three persons in one. They are a moral being. They may not do what's moral, but they have the capacity to understand right and wrong, just as God knows good from evil. And they are created, humankind is, to be relational. You, every person you meet is a relational being, created for relationship, which is a reflection of God himself existing as three in one for eternity, having perfect fellowship in him. Mankind was created in that way, in God's likeness, in God's image. Because of that, mankind has intrinsic value to God as his image bearers. The utmost value. Life, human life, is sacred to God. It is sacred to him. It's why Jesus died for mankind, because mankind holds that value to the heart of God made in his image. And mankind also has an everlasting destiny as an immortal soul. Every person you've ever met is immortal. We will die and leave this life, but the person you've met on the street, they will exist forever somewhere. Every soul will live forever somewhere, will exist forever somewhere. So the Bible begins by giving us this revelation, we're in the image of God. And that's really to guide every other truth and doctrine we hold to. Every other action we ever take should be done in light that everybody we meet is made in the image of God. It's why James in his letter said, don't praise God with your tongue and then curse humans that are made in God's likeness because that's a contradiction. Don't tell me you praise God and then curse people because people are made in his image. The fact that we are made in the image of God is what gives human life dignity and why we always treat people with dignity and honor and respect because we're dealing with somebody who's made in the image of God. I appreciate something that C.S. Lewis wrote in the book called The Weight of Glory where he said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Again, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And you can just see the the gravity of that passage where it instantly gives us the weight of every human soul to God. How important each person is to God. The person that takes your order in the drive-thru. The person you bought donuts from this morning. Right, Pastor Lynn? You've never met a mere mortal. They are people created to be personal, relational, moral, spiritual beings with an intrinsic value to God for which Jesus Christ came into the world and died for that soul. And it it gives us that appreciation 
of every single person. And it builds within us this worldview that all life, all human life is sacred and not to be taken for granted. What a passage that speaks to us of that. Something else we take away from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We'll reread verse 27 where it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And we just want to recognize God's creation of male and female. God's creation of man and woman. And we want to think upon God's intention behind his two created genders because he has a plan in mind for both. Our point we want to make here is that men and women are equal persons before God with different roles. They are equal persons before God with different roles. Both men and women are image bearers of God. They are equal in personhood and human dignity. One is not less than the other, only different. God has a different intention in mind, a different function, different roles. Therefore, we witness different strengths at times, different weaknesses. God has a design in mind for each of the two genders. This doesn't refer to gender stereotypes, as we might draw those culturally from one culture to the other, but there are biblically defined roles and functions for each gender that fit with God's special design. This is something we wrestle with. It seems like across history and cultures is people always wanting to rebel against God's design. When we rebel against God in the first place, that's our human fallen nature. But we even rebel against him in, in these simple things in a book like Genesis. We, we can sometimes fight against this, but God says, I created these two. He talks about roles through the scripture. He gives functions and intentions through the Bible, his good design. And what we find is when we're willing to follow what God has designed, it will always be better off for it. There will be blessings in that. It's not to keep you from one thing or keep you from something. It's not you're not missing out. He's got something better in mind for you. You're not missing out. We understand from Scripture that men, only men, can be a husband. That lead their families by loving their wives, raising their children in the Lord, and protect and provide for their families. And be the spiritual shepherd of the family. That's the call God placed on a husband and a father. Again, not every man will necessarily be a husband and a father. And God has special grace for that. God does call some to be single. And that's okay. But generally speaking, most men will become husbands and fathers. Only women can be wives that respect and help their husbands, that bring children into the world and nourish their children in the Lord. Again, not every, not every woman will be a wife or a mother, but most will. There is a call to singlehood. That's okay. But again, within that, the differences between men and women... And they're clearly there, right? I mean, they're, either, they're there biblically, but they're there. You can observe the differences. I mean, there's been study after study after study showing that we're not just the same. God has uniqueness in both men and women, a, unique, a special uniqueness for each. Not to be fought against, to be embraced and accepted and enjoy the blessings thereof. 
in who God created us to be. But again, we see within the roles of men and women in the creation of male and female a reflection of God himself. He again exists as three persons in one Godhead. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit. Don't ask me to draw a picture of this, okay? It's the Trinity, it's the doctrine of the Trinity. It's beyond our finite comprehension. But God declares he is one God, and yet there are three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So within the Godhead, there's three persons with uniqueness about their personhood. The Father is unique to the Father. The Son is a unique Son. The Spirit is unique. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit glorifies the Son and the Father. There are roles within the Godhead. And what that reflects is the harmony of God's very nature. And we also see within the Godhead the idea of fellowship and relationship. And again, we're created to enjoy that too. We are called into the fellowship of the triune God. And that's what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. If we trust that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, we are immediately brought into the fellowship of the triune God. And we are one with him. And we become his child through the blood of Christ. But just like there are roles in the Godhead and yet harmony, so there are roles amongst men and women, and yet God wants to bring a harmony. God wants to shine his glory in different unique spectrums through masculinity and femininity. They're not meant to just be the same and rolled up in one blanket. There is aspects of God's glory he wants to shine through the two special and unique genders. This is what the world misses. To take away the concepts of gender and husband and wife and male and female and and father and mother, to, to mix all that up is to rob God of his glory. That's the ultimate offense behind all that. We make God less than he is. And we try to recreate God in our own image and recreate reality by our own wisdom. And we will reap what we sow. Because we will sow pain in that. And we will reap pain in that. If we move away from God's best. Both manhood and womanhood are meant to glorify God. One is not better than the other, but they're different by God's design. You know, the story is told about a husband who read an article to his wife about how women use 30,000 words a day to a man's 15,000 words a day. And the wife replied, well, that's because we have to repeat everything to the men. And the husband turned to his wife and said, what? <laughs> that's a bit of a you know, funny thing, and maybe that's not true of every man and woman, but generally it probably is a, a common feature. <laughs> I've done it. I've been the guy that said, what, after you just explained it to me? <laughs> well, you didn't say my name before you just went on that uh, explanation. I need you to say my name and repeat it. <laughs> Make sure, I, I'm, make sure I have eye contact <laughs> before he explains something to me. Um, we're made differently. Again, there's a lot of studies. There's even been studies of brain activity in, in, in the midst of functions and events. And, like, people have studied this. And what men tend to uh, gravitate toward and what women toward to, 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 uh, excuse me, tend to gravitate toward. I was just seeing a video on YouTube this week. I, I don't know. There's a YouTube channel called, what is it called, Hacksmith Industries? where it's, uh, it's this team of engineers that are really, really smart. And they kind of have a flavor of, uh, you know, like uh, 
I don't know, kind of frat house. I don't know. They're kind of, they're kind of a little bit... Uh, the things they come up with are silly, but they put all kinds of attention and money, and they come up with really cool things. And this group actually made the first ever working lightsaber for all you Star Wars fans. It's plasma-fueled, uh, I think, and it's like this big backpack, and it's got a hose, but they click it on, and a tr- like this superheated plasma torch comes out that can cut through steel and things. It's not like what you see on TV, but they actually made a working, retractable lightsaber, and they actually hold now the Guinness World Record for that. Okay? And anyway, there's this other YouTube personality called Mr. Beast, and I'm not endorsing anybody. I'm just saying what I saw. But they teamed up with this guy. This is the most popular YouTuber in the world, and he's like the richest YouTuber in the world, right? And all the teenagers probably know who he is, right? They're all like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. Um, they, they teamed up, and, and he made Mr. Beast two lightsabers. And they were doing, it was for a, a video he was going to do. But I'm noticing as I'm watching this video, they're in this room. There's these, like, safes that they're going to cut through with the lightsabers, and it's like a competition, and whoever wins is going to get a bunch of money. And... And I'm watching, like, these people put strap on these, like, plasma backpacks with these torches that could cut an arm off, probably, or get third-degree burns in a millisecond. And they're all doing this. And I'm like, there's not a girl in the room here. <laughs> there's not a girl in the room. It's like, it's all these guys, and they're all excited. And, like, I'm just like, yeah, see, the, you know, I'm sure the girls could have came if they wanted, but it's not necessarily drawn to that as much as men are, generally speaking. You see it with your kids. The girls, they want to play house. They want to, they want to nurture the dolls. The boys, they want to go on the trampoline and throw basketballs at each other. I don't ask me to explain it. It's just what it is. <laughs> There's differences there. We see that. But it's reflection of God's design. He made us different for a reason. We both reflect his image, but in a different spectrum, if you will. Some of it is similar, but some of it's different, and it's meant to be different. There is male and there is female. Let's move on to Genesis chapter 2, to the passage we read in our scripture reading. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Again, this is the creation of Eve here. And I'll just read the passage. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And I just told you why, because if you leave him alone, all he's going to do is make lightsabers. No, I'm just kidding. It's not good that you leave him alone. He's somebody there... Temper that masculine spirit a little bit. (laughs) I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Let me just pause and explain God knew this would be the result. He didn't bring the animals thinking he'd really find an equal helper. God's the one that made them all. Adam, he's in the image of God. None of these animals are. I'm sorry to break it to you, but animals are not people too. (laughs) They're not people. They're animals. We might love them. We might enjoy them, but they're not people. They don't have a sacred value upon their eternal soul like people do. But God's point was this, was to show Adam he would need another that he would not find anywhere else. He would only find it in his wife that was about to be created. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she would take taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, but were not ashamed. We see there Eve, specially created by God in a unique way. Everything else was made from the dust of the ground, but Eve was made from a rib of Adam because God was communicating something in this. Women are uniquely created for God's glory. Excuse me. Women are uniquely created for God's glory. Again, God designed men and women differently. Gender is more than a cultural construct. It's more even than physical, biological differences. There, we live in a time and place where people will try to redefine gender as one's self-representation or self-perception and kind of choose your own adventure in that realm. But biblically, gender is the objective identification of being male or female as created by God and is equivalent to one's biological sex. Let me say that again. Gender is the objective identification of being male or female as created by God and is equivalent to one's biological sex. It's so important to hold that view, to preserve what God intended for maleness and femaleness, for masculinity and femininity, and not to let that get all like garbled up and lost. Both masculinity and femininity, again, reflect the image and glory of God. And both, again, are more than just physical traits. I believe there's a masculine and feminine spirit. Men and women often think differently, view things differently. This is one reason why marriage is the special institution it is. For in a marriage, you have a masculine spirit and a feminine spirit come together and learn to live in harmony, learn to live as one. And that's usually a very imperfect process of learning that, right? (laughs) Going back to the joke about the man, 15,000 words, and the woman, and the man says, what? (laughs) We are different. But it goes, it's deeper than just skin deep. Again, back in Genesis 127, it says, he made them male and female in his image. Male and femaleness are not just physical body traits. It's actually your very spirit. I believe there's a gender of spirit. It doesn't mean that we will function the exact same way in heaven, but it does mean that it's, that's more likely a permanent part of who we are with masculinity or femininity. We'll always reflect the image of God in that spectrum, in that range of color, if you will, of God's glory. Male and female are created in the image of God. God is spirit, and therefore Adam and Eve were also spirit. The maleness and femaleness transcend just the physical. It was Matthew Henry who wrote, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. There's a lot in that, God choosing the rib. Why the rib? He took the rib. I was reading something that if he, if, he left, if he left a portion of the rib, the rib actually has the potential to grow back. Pastor Lynn, I'm looking at you to nod your head or shake your head, but I read that. I don't know. 
I didn't learn that in Bible school, so don't repeat that. But I'm just, I read this recently. Like, I don't know. I look into that. But anyway, he may have grew that rib back anyhow. But Eve was created from his rib. And there is kind of a picture of we're meant to go through life side by side. A helper comparable. Side by side in the same direction. Let's read again Genesis 2, but this... Verse 24, again, it said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I, I pick out that verse again because within that verse there are two things that, again, only have a real meaning to uh, the woman, and that's the word wife and the word mother. Only a woman can be a wife or a mother. And it just speaks to me again of for a woman to simply embrace being the feminine spirit that God made you to be. The feminine being that God made you to be. And find your fulfillment in what he's called you to be as a woman of God. I'm not saying that that means automatically a wife and mother. It's a lot of times it is part of that. But this is our point here. Women find fulfillment in God's design for womanhood. I picked this word fulfillment because everybody's looking for fulfillment. Everybody's looking for purpose and some sense of happiness or some sense of joy. They look for something. Uh, I think this ties into the identity crisis of our culture. We're, we're looking for some meaning to who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And what is the point of all this? And answers, I go looking all, down every dark alley I can find looking for answers. So what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to, to follow biblical womanhood? You can only find that in the word of God. You can only find that when you listen to God's message for who you are and not the world's message for who you are. That's the question we all have to ask ourselves is what message am I listening to about who am I? Only women can live out godly femininity. Again, only women can be wives. Only women can be mothers. But what does the world do? It attacks these things. You know, we don't like talking about the negative side of things, but it's a reality we can all see. It's not new. It's been through the course of human history. We just see manifestations kind of rear their head over cultures and over times through the centuries. We see it in our own time, how the world attacks the very idea of biblical femininity. What does it mean to be a woman? We see the world twist God's design for gender. Twist God's definition of what a woman is. It twists God's call for submission in marriage for the wife. It makes that sound like you're putting on shackles. It twists God's view of children and family. What does the world say about children? Why is there such numbers of abortion? Because there's a message out there that you have this kid, it's going to ruin your life. It's going to be the most worst burden of your life. So you better get rid of it. You want to stay free and happy, right? That's the message of the world. Children are a blessing, not a burden. Marriage is life-giving, not life-destroying. 
The world promises happiness to a woman who throws off the so-called shackles of the biblically defined woman to embrace a world-defined view. And what do you find the worldview of womanhood often doing? They basically exchange womanhood for elements of manhood. That's ultimately what you're doing, right? We, we tell a woman, it's like, it's not good enough to be a woman, so you should be doing this, which may be biblically more of a man's role, but we keep putting, the, that's what the world does, is kind of reverse. This goes back to the core of who each of us is in the Lord, who he's created us to be. You don't have to be married or be a mother to have fulfillment as a woman. Again, it's God's intention for most women. But being a wife and being a mother are noble and sacred callings that God put right in the, the, the created order from the very beginning. As we see in Genesis 1, in this, or excuse me, Genesis 2, verse 24, what God would call us to do is embrace who he's made us to be. To embrace what it means to be a man if you're a man. To embrace what it means to be a woman if you're a woman. To embrace being a husband if, that's, if you're united in marriage. To embrace being a wife. To embrace being a father if you have children. Or embrace being a mother. And realize that these are sacred things in the very eyes of God. As he created it from the beginning. This leads us to our third point again, that motherhood is a sacred calling of God. We read Genesis 2.24. Again, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Without fathers and mothers, there's no life. There's no children. There's no next generation, right? Things stop. We're created, generally speaking, a man and woman come together in marriage, and then they become father and mother, generally speaking. You know, outside of what may be possible today with modern science and technology, what kind of science projects are going on in the world or manipulation of God's design and genetics and so forth, only mothers can bring children into the world, right? That's a fact. <laughs> only mothers can bring life into this world. It's the God-ordained way for humankind to continue, isn't it? And again, we see that under assault today. The, again, the message of the world is, if you become a mother, you're going to miss out on all these other good things in life. It's going to get in the way of your career. It's going to get in the way of what you could, your, your potential. And they put you on to some other kind of messaging. And even a lot of Christians listen to that. Recent news, obviously, has reawakened the whole debate on abortion. And this is one of those debates, there's no nuance here when it comes to abortion. There's no nuance. There's no middle ground on this. Either you believe that that's a child in the womb, fully alive, and an image bearer of God, or you don't. There's no middle ground. And every child killed in the womb is another strike against God's sacred and noble calling of motherhood. It's murder. Motherhood, instead, is the embracing 
of life. Motherhood is a picture of servanthood. Motherhood is a vehicle of great blessing. Because it gives that woman an opportunity to bring a new person into this world and then nurture that person throughout life and pour your life into that child's life that eventually will become God's man or woman. A teacher is said to have once asked a boy this question. It's a math question. See if you get the answer right. Suppose your mother baked a pie and there were seven of you, your parents and five children. What part of the pie would you get? Mm, A sixth, said the boy. I'm afraid you're not knowing your fractions very well, said the teacher. Remember, there's seven of you. Well, yes, teacher, said the boy, but you don't know my mother. Mother would say she didn't want any pie. It's a little small example of the sacrifices that mothers make, right? To provide, to give, to want to nurture and nourish their children. Moms sacrifice daily for their children. But again, that's not life-taking. That's life-giving. Because you're right there in the heart of God as a mother. Mothers nurture and shape the next generation. So often motherhood is looked at just some other thing off, cast off to the side. You know, well, if you can't do anything else, I guess go be a mom. You know, it's almost put out like that. Like you're settling for something to want to be a mother. But from Eden, it's been that no mothers nurture and shape the next generation. It took a mother and a father to bring life into the world. That's the ideal. It's God's intention for individuals to be nurtured and shaped by both father and mother. That's God's ideal design. It's clear in Scripture. But we also know the world is a cursed place of sin. And often the ideal is shattered and people are broken. Some do not have a father or they don't have a good father. Some do not have a mother or they do not have a good mother. Some have neither or neither good. But even in those situations, you're never alone because God's grace can overcome those things. God can provide other godly people in your life. God can give you a father figure. In some cases, he gives you a mother figure who speaks life and hope into your life. But it still stands that it is the family unit that God intends to shape the next generation. That's his creation. It's his design. It's his institution. Some people today may seem to have a problem with the idea of what's called the nuclear family, where you have father, mother, children, but that's really just the traditional family. And it's really the picture the Bible gives as a biblical family unit. As you see here even in Genesis, the man would leave home, father and mother, and he would be joined to his wife. And what do you have? You have a new family unit. And so it would move on. And because of uh, God's design and all that, There would be the basic family unit, but still a good family will certainly extend out to honor grandparents and aunts and uncles and to live in community with cousins, nieces, and nephews and beyond that. But even so, it's still the biblical family is when a man and woman come together and they're married. And even if they don't have children, that's still a biblical family. But then children come into that and the process repeats. And I believe that every mother, each and every mother, is unique and specially created by God 
to be the mother to your children that God has given you. You don't need to look at what everybody else is doing all the time. You don't have to look like every other mother you know. You just pursue God passionately. And you seek His wisdom in your context. And you love your family. There is no such thing as a cookie-cutter mom. So to the mothers, I say, thank you for doing the work of the Lord and being a mother and embracing what God intends in that. You pour out your life day by day, giving of yourself in a multitude of ways, through sickness, through trials, through potty training, through driving lessons, through failures and successes, yet always giving of yourself. You are a picture of God's grace as he too is always giving and blessing. A German magazine years ago posted the words of a hospice nurse that worked with many dying men. And she reported the following words. Almost everyone, as they die, is calling for mommy or mama with the last breath. Why is that? Right? Why is it? Why, is it? Why does motherhood hold such a special place? So for many, their first words are also their last words in life, which shows us the mark God places on motherhood. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word this morning, this reminder from Genesis, Lord, of your original and good creation of man and woman, of husband, wife, of father and mother, and all that you intend through godly masculinity and godly femininity. Lord, may we continue just to embrace your call as your men and women and serve you with our complete hearts devoted to you, Father. We just pray for the mothers here again this morning that they are encouraged, that they know you are the mother they've, you have chosen for their children. And all they need to do is keep their eyes on you and fulfill their calling before you. Give each mom here today peace and encouragement, Lord, in who you've created them to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.